0: A junior or senior year of Bible college, and I had a class with uh, one of my uh, favorite professors, Bill Krauss was his name, Doug, Doug, and i Doug might have been in the class if I was a junior anyways, uh, uh, it was a leadership class. And as we began each class, he would take role in Bible college. If you don't go to class you don't pass. <laughs> and so, good way to get us knuckleheaded college students into in class anyways. And so, as we would take roll, somehow we started to have this little contest of how we would respond when our name was called. You know, usually it was here, here, here. But in that class, it started to become, hey uh present and accounted for. And, and each week, as we went along through the course of the semester, things started, it started to get a little more carried away. And, and Bill, he was a fun teacher and he kind of encouraged it a little bit and and i remember a few weeks after it started uh, it got to my turn and, and i prided myself on being creative in this and and uh, he's called my name he's brian and i said i am <laughs> i'm not <laughs> make that clear but that statement ended the game as everyone went ooh And death scooted away from mine as they expected, uh, lightning to strike and, and, uh, since then I've asked for forgiveness quite a few times. There is only one I am, and I am definitely not him. You know, a while back, I had to write a bio for the Southside website, and, you know, it was tough to figure out. have you ever had to do that before? Write a, a biography, something that tells who you are. It, it kind of feels a bit narcissistic, uh, writing about myself and describing the things I've accomplished. It, it's hard to do, uh, you know, especially when you have to do it in a concise manner. You know, I'm a, I'm a lot of things. I fulfill a lot of role in my roles in my life. I, I'm a husband. I'm, I'm a brother, a son. Uh, I'm a, a cousin, grandson. I'm a friend. I'm a pastor, I'm a a coach, I'm a disciple, I'm a fan, an enthusiast, a student, a teacher. I fulfill a lot of roles in my life, but but honestly, none of those things really matter in the grand scheme of things. My life on this earth is really but a puff of smoke that's blown away by the wind of time when we compare the grandness of, of history. A hundred years from now, no one will remember my name, and probably no one will think of me very often. I doubt I'll come to anyone's mind on a regular basis. Yet part of my existence and our existence on this earth is to figure out who we are. And sometimes it helps us to ask that question of someone else. Who who am I? Uh, What do I mean to this world? Sometimes it gives us perspective. It gives us perspective here from another, their view on who we are and what we mean to them. What our part in this world is. I've had the counseling appointments where I've sat in my office and I've listened to people who have lost perspective. They've lost an understanding, lost insight into who they are and their importance to the people around them. They forget what they mean and how valuable they really are. And hearing that we matter, hearing that we have value is a confidence booster. It helps us and it helps us to understand our necessity to the world around us. Some people spend their whole lives trying to figure out who they are. They go on grand adventures, escaping society to find themselves. And sadly, some never reach a definite, uh, def- uh, definite conclusion. You know, Jesus is the perfect example of someone who had total confidence in who he was and what his purpose on this earth was all about and why he was here. Not only did Jesus know who he was and what he was created to do, but he created in others a desire to figure out and define who he was. We have this example in Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 4 where we find the story of the disciples. The disciples had been with Jesus and they go out on their boat and, and they're off out on the sea when the winds and the waves increase and become mighty and and these guys are fishermen they're used to being out on boats but even these fishermen these tough guys living life on the sea become afraid and they were worried that their boat would sink and their lives would be lost so they cry out to Jesus for help and Jesus stands up with calm assurance and he stills the water and stops the storm This left the disciples in wonder and they were amazed and they were terrified all at the same time. And they cried out, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? Who is this man? Who is this Jesus? You know, as the disciples spent time with Jesus, they began to figure it out. As they witnessed his teachings and his miracles and just how he lived life, they began to put two and two together. In Matthew 16, we find another story of Jesus and his disciples. As they're traveling to Caesarea Philippi, he asked them a question. Now, Jesus knew completely who he was. And so when he asked this question, we knew, we know that he was asking it to help teach, he use it as a teachable moment. But in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, this is what Jesus asks his disciples. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So Jesus asked this question. He says, who, who, do people, who are people saying I am? What are you hearing out there? What, what are you guys discussing? What, 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 are, what do people think of me? Now, Jesus, again, probably knew, but he was using this as a teachable moment for his disciples. And so they replied. Uh, we don't know who answered here, but, but probably a variety of the disciples piped up with the answers. The first one said, well, John the Baptist. People think you're John the Baptist, Jesus. Well, that's kind of weird since John the Baptist and Jesus were kind of contemporaries. But this was a rumor that was being spread and actually uh, believed even by Herod uh the the uh, tetrarch Herod the tetrarch in Matthew chapter 14 verses 1 through 2 it says this it says at that time Herod the tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus and he said to his attendants this is John the Baptist he has risen from the dead that is why miraculous powers are at work in him so Herod who had had uh John the Baptist killed himself believe that John the Baptist has risen from the dead and that's why Jesus had powers and authority. They, he believed that it was just uh, John coming back from the dead. And so he was spreading that rumor. He was telling people. And so I'm sure the, the other people who were trying to impress Herod were believing that as well and spreading that rumor around. So some people believed he was John the Baptist, come back to life. Someone else, one of the other disciples said, Elijah. The people say, yeah. think you were Elijah this comes from a prophecy concerning the Messiah, that the Messiah would come. But before he would come, Elijah would be sent. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, it says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day the Lord comes. So there was this prophecy that Elijah would come. And here we see a man, the people looked and they saw Jesus and they said, Man, he's teaching great things and he's doing amazing miracles, but he's not really bringing about a return of Israel. He's not really gathering armies to his side, their expectation for what the Messiah would be. But he's doing great things, and he's calling people to repentance, kind of like John the Baptist. Maybe he's Elijah. He's doing good things, but he's not quite the Messiah like we expected. Maybe somebody or some people thought, hey, he's, he's Jeremiah. One of the disciples said, maybe, maybe you're one of the prophets, they're saying. See, some people thought, well, he's not the Messiah. He's not accomplishing that role in our lives. He's not really important enough to be Elijah, but he is a good teacher, so maybe he's, maybe he's one of the prophets. Maybe he's Jeremiah returned. Some of the outside sources from the Old Testament scripture. Some of the kind of apocryphal writings that the Jewish, that the Jewish people taught, uh, taught that Jeremiah would return before the Messiah came. Maybe you're him. Maybe you're not quite the Messiah. You're not quite Elijah. But maybe you're Jeremiah. The disciples continued. They said, well, maybe you're one of the other prophets, people are saying. Maybe, you're again, you're just a good teacher, uh, but maybe you're just one of the Hosea or someone like that that no one ever talks about. You know, there are a lot of theories within the Jewish culture of who the Messiah would be. And that's pretty obvious from what we see the disciples answer here in Matthew chapter 16. But it continues. Jesus pushes things. He doesn't just leave it at what. If, what are the people around saying? He takes it a step further in Matthew sixteen fifteen through 18. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? He makes it personal. Jesus was good at that. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter, Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Jesus asks this question. Who do people say that I am? But more importantly, who do you say that I am? What am I to you, Peter? Again, he asks the question kind of broadly. He says you. It's a plural you here, addressing all of his disciples. But Peter, the impulsive one, right, the spokesperson often for the disciples, he pipes up, and he gives his answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The first part of his answer says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. It's it's Peter acknowledging Jesus' role as Messiah, his role as the Savior. The Messiah was was the uh, prophesied one who would come and would deliver the people of Israel from captivity from the Romans or whoever they would be captive under in that point of history. He was the anointed king that would establish Israel forever. He would bring about the golden age of Israel, better than what David ever could have accomplished. That's what they thought, Jesus the Messiah. And even the disciples thought that themselves, that he would be the one who established an earthly kingdom forever. And he says that, you, you are the deliverer, you are the one that will save us. In John chapter 4, verse 25 through 26, Jesus takes this role and he acknowledges this role as our, as our Messiah, as the Christ Christ. When he is at the, uh, at the well uh, on his way to back to Jerusalem, he's traveling through Samaria, and he gets thirsty, and he stops at a well where there's a woman, a Samaritan woman, and he engages in a conversation with her. And this is a portion of that conversation. In chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, The woman said to him, I know that, that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, I am he. So Jesus himself claimed the role of Messiah. And, G- and Peter, in this passage, acknowledges that Jesus is that person, that Messiah. The second part of Peter's answer is that he is the son of the living God. I say you are the son of the living God, which is Jesus' authority, his position as God's son. In John chapter 6, Jesus Jesus claims these role, this role. Uh, sometimes people say Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. He never claimed to be God, right? However, we see here in John chapter 6, him being pretty clear. In John chapter 6, verses 38 through 40, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all, of all those he has given to me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will... Is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So he accepts this position as God's Son, as a position of authority in people's lives. But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? This is the answer that we all have to face. You know, there are a lot of opinions about who Jesus is. Back then, at the time of the disciples, there was all of these ideas. He was John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Uh, But today, we find that there are an equal amount of ideas of who Jesus is in our world. Some people believe that Jesus was only a myth. Thankfully, history is on our side when it comes to the actual life of Jesus Christ. But some people believe that he did never really live in the first place. You know, uh, Thomas Paine, one of our founding fathers. You know, a lot of people say that the United States was founded. Our founding fathers were Christian, right? Not all of them. Not all of them. Thomas Paine was one of those men who was not a Christian, though he was one of our founding fathers. And this is what he says. He said, Jesus Christ wrote no history of himself of his birth, of his parentage, or anything else. Not a line of what is called the New Testament is of his writing. His historians, having brought him into the world in a supernatural manner, uh, were obligated to take him out again in the same manner. Or the first part of the story must have fallen to the ground. So what Thomas Paine here was saying, and it's it's a philosophy that's still an idea that still exists today, that Jesus was a created being, that people, historians who had, a, had an agenda created him. And so they, when they created this virgin birth, they had to create a great way for him to go out too, right? And so they created the resurrection. He wasn't a real person. He was just an imaginary man that someone made up. And people believe that still today, that Jesus never existed. Thankfully, again, history is on our side. Some people believe that he was simply a crazy man. Someone who was delusional, maybe power-hungry, out of his mind, maybe, thinking that he was actually God. Uh, One of the world-renowned science scientists of this day, Richard Dawkins, falls into this camp. He says this, Oh, but of course the story of an Adam and Eve were only ever symbolic, wasn't it? Symbolic. So Jesus had himself tortured and executed for a symbolic sin by a non-existent individual. Nobody not brought up in the faith could reach any verdict other than barking mad. So he's saying here, Richard Dawkins believes that Jesus existed. He's a scientist. He can read history. He knows that Jesus existed. But he says that Jesus was a crazy man. And anybody who believes in him is crazy as well. And that's a pretty common thought these days of who Jesus is. Some believe that Jesus was simply a wise teacher. Maybe he was one of the, the greatest teachers that ever let, walked on this earth, but he was still just to be ranked alongside other teachers like Plato or Buddha or Gandhi. Uh, wise sayings, that some were his, some aren't, but, but he, you know, he was probably a pretty good teacher, but that's about it. Uh, John Lennon, the musician John Lennon, fell into this camp. He said, I believe in God, but not as one thing. Not as an old man in the sky. I believe that what people call God is something in all of us. I believe that what Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and all the rest said was right. It's just that the translations have gone wrong. So Jesus is just a, you know, he's a good teacher. But he wasn't anything special. He was right. He was like Muhammad. He was like Buddha. He teaches us wise sayings and wise truths, but that's all he is. Some people believe that Jesus was merely a man, that he existed historically, but he didn't accomplish the things that he accomplished. He wasn't born of a virgin. He didn't live a perfect life, and he, he might have been crucified on a cross, but he definitely didn't come back to life. That came about years later by people who wanted to manipulate and gain power, starting with the Apostle Paul, who had it all wrong and did it from selfish reasons and taught about Jesus for selfish reasons. You see, there's a lot of different ideas about who Jesus is in the world today c.s lewis had a great response to this idea about the world's view of jesus i love this quote you've probably heard it before it says this: a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that that jesus said would not be a great teacher he would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell himself you must make your choice Either this man was and is the son of God, or he's a madman, or maybe something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and worship him as Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great teacher. He has not left that open for us. He never intended to. I love that picture. The world around us says that maybe he was a great man, a great teacher. Maybe maybe he was crazy, but they don't want to acknowledge that he was Lord and Savior. You know, in the church today, there's a lot of debate about who Jesus is, who, what role he fills in our life. Most agree on the basics that Jesus was God, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived that perfect life, and that he died on the cross in our place as a substitutionary atonement for our sins. That's pretty common. You go to most churches... <laughs> Excuse me even around lebanon and most everyone's kind of going to agree on those facts Most acknowledge jesus in his role as the christ as the messiah as our savior But you know jesus is is more than that. He did that Right. He he filled that role. He is our savior. He is the messiah the christ that was promised but when jesus, when peter answered that question who do you say that I am? He even verbalized that role. right? He acknowledged Jesus in that way. Jesus is our Savior. But not only is he our Savior, but he is now our Lord as well. And this is the rub within Christian circles. Most everyone agrees that he's our Savior, but they hesitate to make him their Lord. They, this interferes with the idea of free salvation sometimes. And we believe that our salvation is free, but you see, even Peter didn't leave it at Jesus is our Savior. Did he? He continued on. He acknowledged Jesus as his Lord. In Acts chapter two, verse thirty-six, as Peter is preaching that great sermon on the day of Pentecost, it says this: in, in Acts two thirty-six, therefore let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus, whom you have crucified. Both Lord and Savior. Both Lord and Savior. He has to fill both of those roles in our lives. You know, Peter acknowledged him as having the role of Messiah and the role of authority over him. So when you ask yourself, who is this Jesus? What do you say? Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord as well? You know, I started off this message with talking a little bit about, about who I am. You know, about creating a bio and trying to figure that out. You know, as I have learned and experienced who Jesus is, I've learned about more, I've learned more about who I am. As I have focused in on making him my Savior and my Lord, it has changed me. And I think that was the point of what Jesus was asking His disciples. When he said, who do you say that I am? He's saying, when you acknowledge who I am, it's going to change who you are. And we see that. We see the the disciples as they grow. And as they grow in their understanding of who Jesus was, their confidence grew. Their knowledge grew. And their willingness to die for him increased exponentially. As I learn more about the identity of Jesus, it changes my own identity. And what I found is from that time when I was 11 years old and I was came face to face with my own sins and I had to answer that question myself, who is Jesus? And from that time forward, as I've learned who he is, as I've submitted both to him as my Savior and my Lord, my identity has gone from being me to being interwoven with the identity of Jesus. And now when I write my bio, there can be no separation. From Brian, who just is a man, to Brian, who follows his Savior. In Joshua, chapter 24, Joshua, the leader of the Israelites at that time, gave a challenge to the people. And it was basically the same challenge that Jesus has for each of us. In Joshua 24, it says, Choose for yourself today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your forefathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me, I will serve the Lord. Not just my Savior, but my Lord and Savior. See, those people in the Israelites at that time, they had ideas of who the real God was. Their ancestors had worshipped, some, some of their ancestors had worshipped false gods, the gods beyond the river. And the people around them living in that area, the region where they were settling, the promised land, they believe certain things as well about God, so they, they've worshiped false gods. But Joshua was challenging them Who do you say that God is? Which God are you going to follow? And we have that same choice ourselves each and every day. Who are we going to follow? The great I am, or the Jesus that the people around us t- talk about, and the ideas of the world? Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. I hope it's the great I am let's pray God we thank you so much for your love for us and I thank you father for the fact that you create in us a, a response to your son and I pray father that everybody in this room will take seriously that question of who do you say that I am and father i pray that it won't be a one word or one reply answer that you are my savior and leave it at that, but that we will each make you Lord and submit to you in obedience as well. So I pray for that this morning as we go from here in Jesus name. Amen. I have a couple of take it homes for us today. Uh, the first one is this Memorize first John three sixteen. Anyone done it yet? No. Okay. I'm not going to stop. (laughs) I'm going to keep on this one, but I will say I haven't done it yet either, so you're off the hook this week. But let's say it together, and let's work on it right now. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers and sisters. 1 John 3.16. And and this verse right here, it, it kind of illustrates the point of what I'm talking about today. That the first part of this verse is talking about Jesus Christ, his Christ. It means Messiah. Right? It means deliverer, the one anointed one. The one who laid his life down for us. But the second part is the part where we make him Lord of our life as well. And we acknowledge his authority. And when he says, lay down your life for others, we're acknowledging that he is Lord of our life as well. Second one, take it home. I would like you to make a list of the different roles that Jesus fills in our life. You know, is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? There's other things that he is as well. He's our, our, our counselor, right? He's our, uh, the one we worship. Uh, he's the one who sustains life. He's the creator. There's a lot of roles that he fills within our life. Make a list of those roles. Uh, think and pray through which of these roles you have experienced firsthand and which you need to, to fill in your life and which you need to submit. There might be some of those roles that you haven't, you haven't felt. Maybe you haven't experienced Jesus as your counselor, as your comforter, as your support. Or maybe you haven't submitted to Him as your Lord, as the one who's the boss and director of your life. And that's my challenge for you this morning.